headcanon that Remus had a twin brother named Romulus and that he killed him in the womb or something, whatever. Yeah. And I know, weird. Okay. But then someone was like, everyone's talking about Remus's twin Romulus this, Remus's twin Romulus that. Why is no one talking about Sirius's twin hilarious? <laughs> Welcome back to the Silver Call Review. I'm Madison. And I'm Dea. And today we are doing our very last Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows deep dive. Woo! Yay! Well, <laughs> and for it's, the, it's our last book episode, kind yeah. of bittersweet. I know. It's crazy to think that, like, this is it. These yeah. are the last chapters. And they're fat. They are. There's a lot of content. There's a, um, we're going to talk a lot. <laughs> so just get ready for that. Yeah. Buckle in. Be comfortable. We're going to talk for a while. Yep. So let's start off with the character and the spell of the episode. Alrighty, so our character of the episode today is Neville Longbottom. He is first mentioned in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. He is a male wizard described as having a round face, being short, plump, and blonde. He attends Hogwarts, where he was sorted into House Gryffindor. And as for his wand, it says Neville inherited his wand, his father's wand at age 11, but it broke during the Battle of the Department of Mysteries. His second wand was 13 inches, made of cherry wood, and has a unicorn hair core. His related families are the Abbott family, and his skills and achievements include being a member of Dumbledore's army, fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts, and being the destroyer of one Horcrux, as we will see later. And then a magic fact about him is that Sybil Trelawney's prophecy stated that a young boy would possess the power to defeat Lord Voldemort, that he would be born at the end of July in 1980, and would have parents who fought Voldemort three times, and Voldemort thought that this referred to Harry, but Neville also meets her description, which we've talked about before. Yep. And I always forget that he's supposed to be blonde. Yeah, me too. I have a, like, Matthew Lewis is what I picture when I see Neville, so that's the same with Dudley. He's also supposed to be blonde and Petunia, so... Yeah, no, I always forget that. So, the spell of the episode is actually a charm. It's reparo, and it is used to fix a broken object. The etymology of this word is that in Latin, reparo means to repair. Wow, really? It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, The magical moment for reparo is that in Deathly Hallows, Harry is able to use the Elder Wand to repair his broken wand with this spell. Usually, this spell would not be able to fix a snapped wand's magical abilities. And it should be noted that this spell should not be used to heal humans or animals. And it will result in severe scarring if you do. So it would work. You would, would just work. be heavily scarred. Yes. So, I mean, technically, if you don't care about that, and yeah. if you're, like, in a pinch, you Yeah, know, if you, you don't could. actually know how to do it, and... Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Because so, we're wizards, and we'll have to do that, obviously. Exactly. That's what I, I was thinking to myself. You know, the next time I'm, you know, like, cooking, and I, like, slice myself, I'll just repair it. Exactly. Perfect. And I'll just have this gnarly <laughs> scar. Which are sick. Scars are cool. Yeah. And it has a cool story anyway. It doesn't matter how you did it. You repaired it with magic. Exactly. So, all right. So chapter 31, we are opening the chapter with McGonagall telling the gathered students and members of the order that the prefects will be leading the students to be evacuated and anyone who is of age may stay and fight. She also tells them the protections have been put in place but are unlikely to hold for long. And these instructions are cut short by Voldemort's voice speaking everywhere all at once, seemingly. He tells them that they cannot fight him, he does not want to, like, spill magical blood, and all they have to do is give up Harry Potter by midnight and none shall be harmed. Yeah. Which seems a little too good to be true anyways, if you're actually, like, 
thinking about it. I was gonna say, I was like, I don't even believe him. He's like, I do not want to fight you. Are you sure about that? He said, I have great respect for the teachers of Hogwarts. I doubt that. But he says, I don't want to spill magical blood. That one I believe. Yeah. But the other two, I'm like, okay. Why not? So at this point, Pansy Parkinson stands up, points at Harry, and says, someone grab him. This causes the other three houses to stand up to defend Harry, and McGonagall dismisses Slytherin House first with Filch. And then after all four houses are dismissed, there are members of Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Gryffindor willing to stay and fight. And Harry still hasn't found Ron and Hermione at this point, but he doesn't have time to waste, as McGonagall reminds him, so he continues his search for the Horcrux. He just casually forgot the whole reason we're having a battle is for you to find this. (laughs) Yeah. So he decides the answer must be the diadem and realizes that although nobody alive has seen the diadem or knows of its whereabouts, he could ask the dead. So he asks nearly headless Nick who the Ravenclaw house ghost is. And honestly, how do you attend Hogwarts for this long and not even know who the ghost is? I know, right? I know. However, I will give props to Harry. This was a big brain moment. Like a literal light bulb going off in his head. I'm really proud of him for like figuring that out really quickly. Exactly. So Nick leads him to the great lady, aka Helena Ravenclaw, about the diadem, and she's quick to dismiss him as another student looking for her mother's treasure until he tells her he needs it to defeat Voldemort. At this point, she tells him that when she was alive, she stole the diadem from her mother to make herself more clever and important than her mother, and she ran away. Apparently, Rowena never admitted that the diadem was gone and pretended she still had it, keeping Helena's betrayal a secret. And Rowena eventually fell ill, and despite Helena's behavior, she had wanted to see her one last time. So Rowena sent a man who had loved her to find her, and she knew that he would not rest until he did so. Enter the Baron, a.k.a. the Bloody Baron, the Slytherin House ghost. And when he found her, she refused to return, and he became violent and stabbed her, then was so overcome with remorse that he killed himself, which here we see them both as ghosts roaming the halls. Which, imagine, like... Thinking, oh, I'm dead. I can finally get away from this man who's been chasing me forever. Nope, he's here too. What are the requirements to become a, a Hogwarts ghost? Because, like, Ben's died in Hogwarts. That's why he's still there. But, like, they both died in this forest in Albania. So it's like, what are the requirements to, like, become a Hogwarts ghost and, like, the house ghost? I don't know. Well, Helena's kind of um, a difference because she's the daughter right, of the, the founder. Da- that tracks. But, the like, Baron, the Baron... I don't know. I'm like, like, how did... Like, what a coincidence that they both just ended up there. Yeah. And I think it's funny she says that he still wears the chains as an act of, like, penance. As he should. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that you was really funny. Chains. I was like, petty. Love it. Yeah. Um, and she says that since then, the diadem has remained where she hid it before she died in a hollow tree in a forest in Albania. And she does admit that she revealed this location to another student, a.k.a. Tom Riddle. And Harry realizes he must have found it, made it a horcrux, and hidden it within Hogwarts when he came to interview with Dumbledore. Harry continues on his search, but doesn't make it far before running into Hagrid and Fang, who crash through the window, thanks to Grop. And they head off together to look for Ron and Hermione. And as they're hurrying through the castle, Harry realizes he's seen the diadem. He placed it along with a wig onto the head of a statue in the Room of Requirement when he hid the Half-Blood Prince's book. So, Harry heads to um, get to the diadem. He runs into Aberforth, who reveals the whole of Hogsmeade, also heard Voldemort's little speech, and suggests that he should have kept um, some Slytherins as hostages since their parents are Death Eaters, but Harry tells him it wouldn't stop Voldemort and Albus wouldn't have done it. What the fuck? Aberforth. <laughs> Aberforth These are is children. so unhinged. Every, t- every time he speaks, it's so unhinged. Which we should have known, you know, 
with his questionable history with the goats or whatever. That is very true, yeah. Also, he's just part of the Dumbledore family. They're all a little crazy. They're all a little crazy. bit. Yeah. Another unhinged thing that I just thought was really funny was Neville and Sprout running with mandrakes to throw at them. The That's so funny. <laughs> that was crazy, it's dude. It's smart, though, because if they're out of their pots, they're going to be screaming. And, and it's killer if you hear it you die boom 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 but like also i feel like that's so dangerous like what like they have earmuffs but like no one else does it's like they might accidentally kill some of their own like throw it far enough a killer arm neville plays baseball new head cannon (laughs) he's the quarterback actually that's the other sport at hogwarts (laughs) yep so harry finally runs into ron and hermione who have their arms full of basilisk fangs because Ron, he's really come through with this one, had the amazing idea to go get them from the Chamber of Secrets to destroy the other Horcruxes since they don't have the sword anymore. He even manages to copy what Harry said in partial tongue to open the chamber. He had heard Harry when he opened the locket, and he's like, oh, I'll remember that. Sounds fake, but okay. It does. <laughs> you heard him say it once, and then you were able to do it. I was like, all right, sure. So they head to the room of requirement, and only a few people remain within it, including Neville's gran, which slay. And Tonks is also there and quickly runs off to meet up with Remus. They ask Ginny to leave for a bit since they need her to be gone for the room to transform. And Ron also mentions they should tell the house elves to leave because they can't order them to die for them. And at this moment, Hermione throws her arms around Ron and kisses him. Wow. In the middle. (laughs) Just in the middle of this all. Overcome with emotion. I love it. Yeah. So the battle is really picking up now, but they can't stop to help they really have to keep going and harry thinks i need the place where everything is hidden and that's when the door materializes in front of them they split up once inside and when harry finally finds it he is intercepted by none other than draco crab and goyle really full circle moment though i know so crab starts to pretty much destroy shit but malfoy tells him off saying they'll lose the diadem if he does that and then crab because Crab got real bold now. No, I don't know what happened to him. Crab tries to use Crucio on Harry, but misses and instead hits the statue and sends the diadem flying. Hermione now runs in and tries to stun Crab, but Draco pulls him out of the way before Crab tries to retaliate with Avada Kedavra. Which is wild. We're gonna Crucio Harry, the half-blood. But no, here comes the Muggleborn, just straight killing curse. Exactly. Insane. So they all continue to throw spells while Harry desperately looks for the diadem, but is distracted when Crab apparently decides to just light fire to everything. And even Aguamenti won't stop the flames, and they decide to just run for it. So this fire is seemingly sentient, and we know it is fiend fire, as it chases them through the Room of Requirement, taking the form of various animals as it does so. And Harry eventually finds a couple broomsticks to fly out on, but can't leave the three boys behind, so he goes back to save them. Ron and Hermione take Goyle on their broom, and Harry takes Draco, and Crab is just gone. So. Rest in peace. Yeah. And so as they're heading to the door, the fire throws up the diadem, like spits it out, I guess, among other objects, and Harry is able to grab it before it falls back into the flames, and they make it out just in time, coughing from the smoke in their lungs as the headless hunt passes by. They're here. Yeah, they're there. How cool, though. I know. I love something that I think is really fun about this book, and we'll, I, I took notes on more things later, is how many, like, callbacks and, like, characters we mm-hmm. haven't seen in a while are here again, and it's like, oh my god, like, this thing, and I think that's really fun. Yeah. So Harry grabs the Horcrux to destroy it, but finds it already is, and Hermione at this point realizes that the fire was fiend fire, aka cursed fire, which can apparently destroy Horcruxes, but they had never used it before because it's, like, impossible to control. Which we see now. Yes. And, like, I get that, like, they never would have tried it because it's so dangerous, but I feel like something to at least mention. 
she knew this entire time it could defeat horcruxes and she just never said anything like listen the basilisk and stuff there is one more but it's extremely dangerous so we're not gonna try it but like i feel like if she had told him he would have been like let's do it he would have he would have he would have but like i don't know i'm like damn you just kept this to yourself this entire time yeah and now it's destroyed the hidden room of requirement, which, you know, sucks because, like, there's tons of, like, magical artifacts and stuff that, that got destroyed. But at the same time, spring cleaning, that is such it's a, empty made now. it so easy. There's nothing for you to find because it's empty. So they don't really have much time to process everything because Death Eaters have now infiltrated the castle and they see Percy and Fred fighting off Thickness just next to them. And then suddenly there's an explosion that throws them in all directions. And when Harry comes to, Percy is shaking Fred's dead body. With the quote, the ghost of his last laugh still etched on his face. Unnecessary. <laughs> Unnecessary. What, the quote? Yes, the ghost of his last laugh. Shut the fuck up, J.K. Rowling. That is so sad. Yeah. It's, oh. Yeah. It's really sad. Especially because, right, he got distracted by Percy making a joke and mm-hmm. he got so excited that he made a joke and that's kind of what got him and that's just, uh, they were about to fix their relationship. Yeah. So, we get to chapter 32, and Harry cannot believe that Fred is really dead. No one can. They're all in a state of shock, but Harry does have enough sense of him to realize that they have to get away because a giant spider is trying to get in and wreak havoc. It's one of Aragog's descendants. So, Harry and Ron are able to blast it away, um, but now they really do gotta get going. Percy, who is so upset with grief, he won't let go of Fred's body, and he's trying to, like, shield it from harm. So he reaches down to grab Fred and move him to safety, which Percy kind of, like, snaps back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. And then helps him move it away. (laughs) And they hide his body where it'll be safe before running into battle. And I I forgot that they, like, hide his body. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so sad. The fact that they even have to do that because they just, you know, they want, oh, that's so fucked up. But Ron is also very incoherent in his grief. Um, He just wants to get out there and he wants to kill all the Death Eaters, which is so valid. Mm -hmm. I get it. But Hermione has more of her wits about her. And she's like, listen, we still have to find the snake and destroy it. It's the last one. We need to do it so Voldemort can be destroyed. And she urges Harry to use his little Voldemort sense um, to see where he is. For the the first time. (laughs) The Harry Tingle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because this is the first time she's normally like... Take it, like, don't use it, but now she's like, use it, we need to figure this out. Which shows you how, like, serious this is. Mm -hmm. So, Harry, his scar has been hurting this entire time, but, like, the adrenaline just kind of pushed it away. So, because of that, he's able to easily get in there. And he sees that he's in a familiar room um, with Lucius Malfoy. And he, Lucius wants to know what happened to Draco. Voldemort tells him that he doesn't know. Draco didn't emerge from the castle with any of the other Slytherins, so he's not sure. And Lucius, like, is desperately asking, like, should we stop the battle? Harry might be accidentally killed with anyone else. But Voldemort is like, you just want to stop the battle so you can go find your son. I'm not doing it. Harry's going to come to me. So he ends up sending Lucius to find Snape because he says he needs a service from him, which is a weird way to put it. But he finally left, uh, Lucius leaves to go do that, and Voldemort is left alone, saying, it is the only way, Nagini, um, addressing his little horcrux snake, who is suspended in midair in some weird-ass magical hamster ball. Yeah. Sure. Slay. Um, so Harry 
comes back to where he is, um, and he tells Ron and Hermione what he saw, which is that Voldemort is in the Shrieking Shack. That's the familiar room he saw. So they kind of start fighting about which one of the three is going to go kill the snake, but we get interrupted by two Death Eaters coming in, and Hermione, brilliant as usual, does some sick-ass spells that we've never heard of before to help them escape, and then she, like, brutally kills the Death Eaters by making a concrete wall just appear and just crumples them. Yep. Okay, Hermione, Speaking go girl. Hermione. Hermione's not playing any games. No, she's like, we're she doing make, this. When she makes this line, I'm like, oh, cool. What a cool spell. And then she, like, puts the wall back. And, you, like, JKR literally says you can hear, like, the crunch. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that was brutal. But go Hermione. So they get under the um, invisibility cloak. And they're running through a corridor filled with a bunch of people fighting. One of them is McGonagall running by with enchanted desk yelling, charge! I love Which that. is iconic. I love that. Really iconic. And then they see Dean and Parvati going up against Dalahov and Travers as Peeves um, is flying around dropping things on Death Eaters. They also pass by Malfoy, who is uh, Draco Malfoy, pleading with his life with a mass Death Eater. And then Harry stuns the Death Eater. And then Ron punches Draco in the for face as they run by. Yeah, for good measure. Yeah. Why not? Just in case. And he says, that's twice we've saved your life tonight, you freaking bastard or something. Which is funny. It was funny. They it. have saved I chocolate. And then they run into Fenrir Greyback, who is attacking an injured Lavender Brown, and Hermione stops him. And then Professor Trelawney finishes him off by dropping a crystal ball on his head. So, shout out to Trelawney. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good system. And then the doors to the castle open. A bunch of more spiders are rushing in. And everyone kind of scatters. And the book says Death Eaters and Hogwartians alike. Which I just thought was a funny word. Hogwartians, I've never thought of calling them that. Mm-hmm. But it was funny. Um, and then they all start kind of shooting at the spiders, but Hagrid's run down and he's yelling at everyone not to hurt the spiders, bless him. Um, and oblivious to the fact that he's like defending them, the spiders end up swarming Hagrid instead and they literally just carry him out of the doors. Um, so after this, a giant appears, but like an actual like giant giant and Grop, um, comes in to fight this like fully grown one. And then next, because this is a war and there are no breaks, it is just one thing after the other, a legion of Dementors approaches. And so Harry, Ron, and Hermione are trying to do their Patronuses and they kind of appear, but then they fizzle out because there's just so many of them. They're too close. But they end up getting back up, um, and we see Luna, Ernie McMillan, and Seamus, who send their Patronuses, that is a hare, a boar, and a fox, respectively, to get rid of the Dementors. And then Harry is finally able to cast his own stag Patronus, and the Dementors retreat. After this, another giant appears, and he has this big giant, like, club thing. And so the trio start running towards the Whomping Willow um, to avoid the giant and to find Voldemort in the Shrieking Shack which is where they were going in the first place. And Harry's, like, struggling because Fred is dead, Hagrid's disappeared, he doesn't know who else might be dead, and so he, but he has to keep going. He mm-hmm. has to get to Nagini and to Voldemort, which I think is, like, that's such a tough thing to deal with. Like, reading about him going through that, I'm like, I don't even know what I would do in that situation. Like, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. But they end up um, 
going, getting towards the Whomping Willow, and Ron is all like, oh my god, I wish we had Crookshank so he could press the knot in the tree. And then, this is another little callback, Hermione repeats a similar line that he said way, way back in the first book. And so she says, are you a wizard or what? Comparing to Ron saying, are you a witch or not? When they were trapped in the Devil's Snare. Which is such a fun little callback. I really like that. Especially between the two of them, now Mm -hmm. that they've kissed, and we know it's gonna be a thing and stuff. So, he ends up levitating a stick, hits it, they crawl down and they hide under the cloak. So Harry is like looking into the shack and he sees Snape is now here with Voldemort. And Voldemort tells Snape that there's something wrong because the Elder Wand it does not really feel any differently to him than his old wand that he used to have. The death stick is not death sticking. It's not death sticking. And he's and Snape is trying to like return to the battle. He's like, let me go get Potter for you, blah, blah, blah. But Voldemort is like, nah, nah, nah. You're going to stay here, you're going to listen to me, because I think I figured out what the mystery about this is. Um, It doesn't work properly because I'm not its master. And Snape is like, what? And he's like, yeah, you want to know who is its master, Sivers? You. You killed Dumbledore. You are its master. So after this, Voldemort orders Nagini to kill Snape. His, her little hamster ball, like, encompasses his head and shoulders, and then she bites him in the neck and kills him. And this is a really sad scene, but imagine if the Elder Wand, like, recognized animals. So, since Nagini killed Snape, Nagini would now be the master of the Elder Wand, and Voldemort had to kill his Horcrux uh, to actually regain. Wouldn't that be so... What an interesting that would be crazy. dynamic. But then again, he commands the snake, and the snake has a piece of his soul in it, so I don't know if it... Oh, that's true. What's it? I guess... Well... But yeah. also, how shitty of him... Like, this is his number one servant, right? This is his number one homie, who has been following him since, like, forever... And instead of just giving him a quick and easy, like, Avada Kedavra death, he's like, oh, I'm gonna, like, have my snake bite you, and you're just gonna bleed out slowly. I know. Which just goes to show how, like, truly evil he is. Mm -hmm. Like, no remorse, no connection to anybody. Like, you're right, this was his number one guy, and he just does not give a shit. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Um, so Voldemort, you know, looks at him, and then he's like, alright, peace. And then he dips with Nagini. And once Voldemort leaves, Harry, like, feels this pull to go to Snape. So he goes out from under the cloak, goes to him, and he notices a little silvery substance pouring out of his mouth, ears, and eyes. That is, it's not how it happens in the movies, obviously, but, like, that, for some reason, just sounds so much more, like, creepy, I guess. On Creep- top of all the blood. and Creepy, yes. 100% Like, out creepy. of all of these crevices, I would have been like, okay. <laughs> Nasty, actually. Really gross. Um, and he whispers to Harry, take it. And Hermione produces a flask, hands it to him, and he pours the silver stuff, which we know are memories, um, into the flask with his wand. And then Snape is holding onto Harry, and he, like, begs him to look at him. And so Harry does, their eyes meet for a moment, but then he dies as he's gazing up into Harry, which he did that on purpose because Harry has Lily's eyes. Um, And something about that does not sit right with me. (laughs) No, it's definitely a little awkward. But that's the end of the chapter. Snape is gone. And so now Voldemort once again speaks to the entirety of Hogwarts and Hogsmeade and pretty much says the loss of magical blood is a waste and he commands his forces to retreat immediately and that they have one hour to dispose of their dead with dignity and treat their injured. Then, you know, he's still talking to everyone. He's like, now I'm speaking to you, Harry Potter, who has let his friends die for him rather than face him. And then he's like, I'll wait for you in the Forbidden Forest for one hour before the battle recommences. Really put him on the spot. No, really did. And then he's like, and if you don't, 
I'll go find you, bitch. I'll hunt you down. And I will start killing everyone in my way. Every man, woman, and child. Jesus. He's crazy. He's inclusive with his killing. (laughs) (laughs) So the trio return to the castle and find everyone crowded in the Great Hall. The Weasley family is crowded around Fred's body as they comfort each other. And next to him lay the bodies of Remus and Tonks. Which, again, really hard, impactful deaths. We've just seen Remus and Tonks be happy and, like, have this family. And then immediately it's gone. Yeah. And she did that on purpose. She said, stated before that she wanted to have a parallel to Harry and to Mm -hmm. have a war orphan, which is what Teddy is going to be. And I think knowing that makes... It puts a little bit more into perspective Remus and Tonks's relationship because mm-hmm. if she went in to Half-Blood Prince knowing she wanted a war orphan, who else is she going to do? There's no other couples who could have children. Yeah. So it kind of puts a little bit more into perspective of like, okay, I'll just throw Remus and Tonks together because mm-hmm. we've said before, before that there's no, no yeah. leading up to this. So like reading this and remembering that made me kind of be like, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes a little more sense. I still don't like it. But it, it does If, if she wanted that plot to work, then it makes sense. Yeah, because she originally was going to kill Arthur in Order of the Phoenix instead of Sirius. And the war orphan was going Ouch. to be... <laughs> yeah. Ouch. The quote-unquote war orphan was going to be obviously all the Weasley children, but, like, more specifically, like, Ron was what she was going to focus on, his grief and having losing that father figure and stuff like that. But then she decided not to do that because she was too attached to Arthur. If she had just done it, Sirius would be alive, Remus would be alive... Remus and Tonks probably wouldn't have gotten together. It would have changed the whole dynamic of Ron, though. Yeah, and that whole family dynamic. It would have been a completely different story, I think, from then on. Yeah, especially because Molly, you know, probably would have had to get a job instead Mm -hmm. of being a homemaker. It would have been a lot different. Yeah. But yeah, that puts that into perspective. This little. Yeah. So at this point, Harry is suddenly like overwhelmed with regret for not giving himself up, thinking that if he had done so, these people would still be alive. So he just turns and runs to Dumbledore's office, and he finds the portraits are all empty, even Dumbledore's, before pouring Snape's memories into the pensive and entering. So this is going to be a series of a lot of memories jumping around. It's going to be a lot of details, but we've got this. We got it. Let's go. So the first memory is in a playground where two girls are swinging and a small boy with black hair is watching from the bushes. These two little girls happen to be Lily and Petunia, and Lily dismounts the swing a little too gracefully, insinuating she's using magic. And Lily shows Petunia a magic trick with a flower. And at this point, Snape, like, jumps out, telling her that she's a witch. And unfortunately for little Snape, Lily thinks that he's insulting her and her feelings are hurt. But he explains that she's a witch like his mom and he's a wizard. Petunia talks down to him and questions why he was spying on them. And he responds with, I wasn't spying on you. You're a muggle. Not a good start, bub. No. So this causes Petunia to lead her sister back home. And that memory ends. In the second memory, a young Snape and Lily are sitting by the river talking about how once you turn 11 and start going to school, you get punished for doing magic outside of school. And he tells her about Hogwarts and how she'll get an acceptance letter and someone will come explain it to her parents since they're muggles. And this worries Lily and she asks if it makes a difference being muggle-born, but he assures her that it doesn't. Lying piece of shit. So they chat about Snape's fighting parents and Dementors and how the, they guard Azkaban. Overall, just Snape being completely smitten with young Lily. And they are unfortunately interrupted by a snooping Petunia who immediately insults Snape and a branch falls and like snags her shoulder. And Lily's instantly upset, claiming Snape made it fall and the memory fades away. In the third memory, he's on platform nine and three quarters and Snape is getting ready to leave for school 
watching Lily say goodbye to her family and her very upset sister. Lily says she can ask Dumbledore if Petunia can go too, but Petunia claims she doesn't want to be a freak. Unfortunately for Petunia, Lily knows she's just lashing out because she saw Dumbledore's response to Petunia's letter begging him to let her in too. So I guess we can find, we can see kind of the start of that resentment. resentment that Petunia had for her sister. And like, it doesn't justify it, obviously, but it is an explanation for it. Yeah. So Snape ends up finding Lily crying on the train and sits with her, trying to excite her by reminding her they're going to Hogwarts. And he tells her she better be in Slytherin. And this causes a young James Potter, also in this compartment, to pipe up and say, wouldn't you just leave if you were in Slytherin? Like, ugh, I would just leave. Unfortunately, the boy he asks is a young Sirius Black who informs him his whole family has been in Slytherin. And he's like, ooh, yikes. Which, something about this is really interesting is that this is also a callback in that James says, who would want to be in Slytherin? I think I'd leave, wouldn't you? Which is exactly what Draco says to Harry in Madame Malkin's, but about Hufflepuff. He says, who would want to be in Hufflepuff? I think I'd leave. And I think it's funny that when Draco says this to Harry, everyone's like, oh, he's such a piece of shit hating on Hufflepuff. But when James says it, it's funny haha because it's Slytherin, the double standard. <laughs> I think James is a piece of crap in this one. I he's mean, a that's little true. Bully. He is, yes. <laughs> he is a bully. So... Um, Sirius says maybe he'll break the family tradition and James says he wants to be in Gryffindor like his father. So Snape and the new James and Sirius combo exchange some insults before Lily gets up in a huff and leads Snape to another compartment and we hear the birth of the nickname Snivellus. And we give them, it's creative. Oh yeah, I gotta give them props for that. That was, that was good. <laughs> mean, but it's creative. So he watches their sorting ceremony. Obviously Lily goes to Gryffindor, Snape to Slytherin, and we see a young Lucius Malfoy as prefect. And then we jump a few years after the sorting and Snape and Lily are walking across the courtyard arguing about something. Apparently Lily doesn't like the people Snape is hanging out with, specifically Avery and Mulciber, which you'll probably recognize the names as Death Eaters that we see in the series. And Snape changes the subject by pointing out that Potter and his friends are up to something, especially Lupin, since he's allegedly ill every month on the full moon. And Lily understands what he's insinuating, but is kind of just like, who cares? Like, leave it alone. Mm -hmm. So then Lily mentions how she heard Snape went snooping around the tunnel by the Whomping Willow and James Potter saved him. And he is so upset by this. Because <laughs> he's like, um, actually, he was just saving himself and his friends. Like, I was just a byproduct of that. So the argument turns into Snape just blurting that James fancies Lily and he's not as great as everyone thinks. And Lily agrees that he's an arrogant toe rag, but that she can handle herself. What an insult. Honestly, an she's so creative with it. Yeah. So he then sees the scene that we saw during the Occlumency lesson where the Marauders put Snape upside down in the air. Snape ends up calling Lily a mudblood. And then his memory switches to his attempts to apologize to Lily for this. And she doesn't want to hear it. She's done making excuses for him and his Death Eater friends. And she says that even if he didn't mean to call her mudblood, he calls everyone of her birth that. So why is she any different before storming off? Which, good question, Snape. No, it's a really good point. This is literally a scene, like this memory specific, we get solid confirmation that as a child, Snape wanted to join the Death Eaters. Like even Lily says, he's like, see, you're not denying that mm -hmm. that's what all of you want to do. Guys, there's no redeeming him, okay? There really isn't. <laughs> So the next memory jumps to an adult Snape terrified of Albus Dumbledore who disarms him and Snape begs for his life. Dumbledore asks what message he has from Lord Voldemort but Snape says he's there on his own account to make a request. 
and he tells him that Voldemort thinks the prophecy refers to the child of Lily Evans, so he's going to hunt them down and kill them, and he has begged for her life in exchange for the sons, which leads Dumbledore to tell Snape he disgusts him, which, rightfully so. Me too. Another another irredeemable thing. Like, oh my god, this man. Yeah. So yeah, kill her baby, but like, please don't kill her. Yeah. Like, I, like, for me, please don't kill her. So Snape tells Dumbledore to hide them all then. Just keep her safe, to which Dumbledore asks what he will give him in return. Snape, of course, says anything. And if you thought that we were just going to rip on Snape for this, Dumbledore also, because he's like, well, what will you give me if I protect them? You can't just do it out of the goodness of your heart, doing it to protect, like, Shouldn't you just three do innocent it anyway? people? Yes. Yeah. Selfish bastard. He needs to get something in return. He wants Snape to be in his, what is the word? Debt. Yeah. Literally for the rest of his life is yeah. what happens. It's ridiculous. So the next memory jumps to Dumbledore's office and Snape is distraught at the death of Lily. Dumbledore tells him that her son lives on and has her eyes. Really twist them. This is manipulation to get him to do what he wants. Fuck both of them, bro. (laughs) So, of course, this is a natural opening for Dumbledore to manipulate Snape by saying that if he truly loved Lily, then he will help protect her son. And Snape agrees but makes Albus swear he won't tell anyone. And then we jump to Snape ranting to Dumbledore about how a young Harry Potter is just as bad as his father, but Dumbledore simply says that he sees what he expects to see, and every other teacher seems to find him modest and likable. And this memory ends with Snape telling Albus to keep an eye on Quirrell. So we've made it now to the first book. Mm -hmm. Next we jump to Dumbledore and Snape outside of the Yule Ball, and Snape is telling him how the marks are getting darker and how Karkaroff plans to flee if the mark burns. Snape says he will not flee because he is no coward, and at this point Dumbledore makes a comment about, like, I think we sort too young. And I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, a dig or if he means it. I think this... I think he's supposed to mean it. I think J.K. Rowling's point here was to further Snape's redemption because Uh at this point she has spent seven books um, drilling the idea that if you're a Slytherin, you're evil. So by making this comment that implies that Snape could have been a Gryffindor, which she spent seven books drilling, these are the good guys. Oh. I think this is her trying to push that, like, oh, he actually Snape. is going to be redeemed. He's a good that. guy. Maybe it's because I don't like Snape. I didn't read it as that. I took it as a dig. <laughs> like, he was, like, making a dig at him. Interesting. Which I kind of like more. Yeah, which, may, I mean, it would go track with Dumbledore's... Yeah. Um, thing. But I mean... But I think they do sort too soon. The house yeah. system is arbitrary. Snape, We've been new. Snape wasn't the, the Slytherin who re- deserved the redemption arc. Yeah. So, now we jump to Dumbledore's office again, and he has the burnt black hand, having just gotten the ring, and Snape is there giving him a potion to help with the curse placed on it. Apparently, Snape was able to trap the curse to the one hand, so pretty much the only reason Dumbledore didn't die from it right away. But Snape tells him the spell cannot be halted forever, and he estimates he has a year, but Dumbledore doesn't really react to this news of knowing he will die within a year. So now you're thinking back to Half-Blood Prince, and you're like, oh, he was dying this whole time. Yep. Which I think is... I know this is, like, such a serious thing, but I couldn't help but chuckle a bit at Snape estimates about a year. So imagine Dumbledore is like, okay, I fully trust him. It's going to be about a year. And then three months in, he just kicks it. Oh my god, (laughs) And it's like, fuck So he points out that this may be the answer to the dilemma with Voldemort's plan to have Draco Malfoy kill him, and Snape admits that the Dark Lord does not expect Draco to succeed, and the task is just a punishment for Lucius's recent failures, aka a death sentence for Draco, and that he would be the natural successor for the job once Draco fails. And he does give Dumbledore his word that if the school falls into Voldemort's grasp, he will do all he can to protect his students, which 
he doesn't do. No. If we learn anything from the Caros, like, using Crucio on students, like, maybe we didn't do a good job here, say. Exactly. So, at this point, Dumbledore tells him to discover what Draco's up to so they can protect accidental victims and save Draco from Lord Voldemort's wrath. And Snape seems kind of confused at what Dumbledore is going at and asks Dumbledore if he's intending to let Draco kill him, to which Dumbledore responds, certainly not. You must kill me. Like, that's a totally normal plan to formulate. yeah. Like, excuse me? So, after this, we jump to Snape and Dumbledore on a nice little evening stroll, and Snape wants to know why he's spending so much time with Harry, but Dumbledore doesn't really give him an answer, just that he needs to share information before it's too late. So this is when he's sharing information about Horcruxes and whatnot. Yeah. I must ensure I give the boy enough information to do what he has to do before I die. Funny how he did not do that, actually. He missed a lot of key pieces. Yeah. So he says that he doesn't share the same info with Snape because he prefers not to put all of his secrets in one basket. So this is a little callback to what Alberforce said, that Dumbledore was a very secretive man. Yeah. So Dumbledore asserts that Voldemort fears the connection between himself and Harry because his last entrance into Harry's mind caused him extreme pain, so he won't try to possess him again. He says that Voldemort's maimed soul cannot bear being close to Harry's soul. Okay. Sure. So the memory ends just after Dumbledore tells Snape to meet him in his office at 11. So now we're at this meeting and Dumbledore tells Snape that Harry must not know until the last moment and to listen carefully. He says that there will be a point after his death where Voldemort will seem to fear for the life of his snake. And at this point, it will be safe to tell Harry. Tell him what exactly? Oh. (laughs) Tell him that on the night Voldemort tried to kill him, when the spell rebounded, it blasted away a piece of Voldemort's soul and it latched onto the only other living soul nearby, a.k.a. Harry Potter. So, a part of Voldemort lives inside Harry, which explains the parcel mouth, the mental link, and while that piece of soul remains attached to and protected by Harry... Lord Voldemort cannot die. In other words, Harry Potter is a horcrux. Snape questions if this means he must die, and Dumbledore asserts that Voldemort must do it himself. That piece is essential. Snape thought they were protecting him for Lily, but Dumbledore says they protected him because it was essential to teach and raise him. He has pretty much kept him alive so he may die at the right moment. This appalls Snape, feeling as though he has been used and lied to, which is fair. And he seems disgusted that Dumbledore has raised Harry like a pig for slaughter, to which Dumbledore simply questions if he has grown to care for the boy after all. Misdirection. He doesn't answer his question. He's like, oh, you care for him? Just fully... He's such a manipulator, bro. So he doesn't care for Harry. Um, At this point, Snape casts his Patronus, and a silver doe emerges. Dumbledore asks him after all this time, and Snape responds, always. Which, the fandom has really taken this part and run with it, and I will never understand that because I just don't... We we will go into another time, the relationship, probably a little more in depth, but, like, I don't personally get it. I don't either. I don't, I don't see it as the love that most people do. It's an obsession. Uh, yeah, I, I see it as an from, obsession. From the moment we, st- we... The first memory we see, he is literally stalking them. Yes. And then admits later on, I've been watching you for some time. That's creepy. This is an obsession that he had with yeah. Lily all this time. And then he outright says, no, I don't give a shit about Harry Potter. It's his dead mom. Like, what? No, I yeah. just, I don't see it either. I don't get it. So now the memory is of Snape talking to Dumbledore's portrait in the headmaster's office. Dumbledore tells Snape to inform Voldemort of the correct departure date of Harry Potter to not raise suspicion, which is why we see why Snape gave up the night that they were moving Potter. And so we see that Snape was the one to plant the idea in Mendugas' mind that they should use decoys to move Harry. 
and we see that Snape cut off George's ear with Sectumsempra, but he was actually aiming for the Death Eater's wand hand. Who was trying to kill Remus. Exactly. And we see Snape in Sirius's bedroom, crying over a letter from Lily, <sighs> taking the piece where she signed it at the bottom, and then he tears the piece of the photograph containing Lily from the part with James and Harry and takes it with him, which is the, the photograph that Harry finds. And if this isn't further... Um, depicting the fact that we say that he's obsessed with her and doesn't care about the rest of them. Like, I don't know what does. Like, taking the piece of the letter, taking, ripping her from the photo of her... With her husband and her child. child. Probably one of the few photos that exist because they were killed so young. Mm -hmm. No, literally, like, and also the implications of the second part of this letter where Lily mentions Gellert Grindelwald. Like, Mm -hmm. if Harry had found that at the beginning of this book, so much would have been different. They would have known about Grindelwald earlier. They probably would have connected dots earlier. Like, so it's, it's... yeah. It's the obsession, and it's he indirectly fucked up this entire like plot. Yeah. So now we see um, Phineas Nigellus report to Snape that he overheard the trio are camping in the Forest of Dean. Dumbledore reminds him the sword must be retrieved under conditions of need and valor, which explains why Snape had put it into the bottom of the lake. And the Doe Patronus that was sent to them was Snape's Patronus, so this whole thing was orchestrated by Snape. And we end with Harry finally exiting the pensive. Yeah, I remember when we did this, like, section, we couldn't remember, like, how did he even know they were in the Forest of Dean? This so is n- why th- Phineas yeah. did over here, Yeah, which we makes get this sense. information here. Yeah. So I, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that, like, Snape was, like, working in all this time to help, but at the same time, I just don't know why people think that that, like, redeems all the bad that he did. Exactly. Or his motives. Exactly, because that's the other thing. I mean, again, we plan to dive into this stuff later, but, like... Like, this might explain, you know, the working for Dumbledore, the, I mean, for Voldemort, the Death Eater stuff, but how are we going to explain the bullying literal children? <laughs> and not even just Harry, but all the other children. Hermione, Neville. Hermione, Neville, Ron, like, all of them. Like, those yeah. are kids. You are their teacher. He should have been fired. Like, yeah. So it's like, I understand why we're trying to redeem that one part, but there's some other parts we just can't. I, yeah. I feel like we just can't redeem. So we get to chapter 34, Um, Harry finally knows the truth, and it's basically he has no choice, he has to die. So he has to offer himself willingly to Voldemort to kill him. So he's literally just lying on the floor of Dumbledore's office, and he's really scared, he doesn't know what death is going to be like. He starts thinking of all the other ways that he might have died, like Hedwig suddenly, you know, um, or like his parents saving someone he loved, but instead he has to die willingly, knowingly, into his literal, like, arch nemesis Mm -hmm. by his hands. So he also thinks a little bit about Dumbledore's betrayal, and he's like, honestly, I'm not surprised because it's for the greater good, which was Dumbledore's entire thing, which, listen, Harry. (laughs) This is propaganda right here. It really is, because I'm like, no, there's no way. Like, for you to become a martyr, like, I understand for the greater good, things like that, but, like, I don't know. I just... I don't... I think there's a big fault in the way that J.K.R. writes Harry's character in this scene because it doesn't make sense that Harry would just understand and then justify Dumbledore's actions. Like, me personally, don't understand. I'd be so pissed. Yeah. You're like, your whole life, your whole relationship with all these people is literally a lie. You've never been told the truth. You have been raised like a lamb for slaughter. And 
you don't have a sense. You're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's for the greater good. No. no. He definitely would have questioned it a little bit. He would definitely go through with it because he knows that that's how he saves the people that he loves. But there's no way that anyone would ever understand someone actively doing it to them. Yeah. In the span of two sentences, literally. mind you. There's no way. Literally makes no sense. Um, but the one thing that he does realize that he hasn't done yet is he has not killed Nagini, who is the last Horcrux besides him. So this is, he kind of connects, he's like, oh, this is why Dumbledore wanted me to tell Ron and Hermione so they could finish it, you know, after I die if they needed to. So he realizes that half an hour of the one hour that Voldemort gave him have gone by in the time he was in the pensive. So he throws on the invisibility cloak and he walks through the Great Hall. He's watching all of his friends. They're in mourning. And he notices Neville and Oliver Wood carrying the small body of Colin Creevy, who managed to sneak back in and fight. And he looks even smaller in death than he did in life, which was so sad. I was like, literally. Oh my god. So... Oliver ends up continuing carrying Colin, and Neville turns around to help recover even more bodies. Um, Harry does not is not able to find the Weasleys, Hermione, Luna, anyone else, and he, he wants to see them one last time, but he knows that if he did, he might not be able to pull himself away from them and go do what needs to be done. Which is understandable. I would look for a reason to stop, too. Yeah, I, I honestly would, too. I... I don't know. I just, I also am a Slytherin. I do have that self-preservation instinct. So I just, I don't think I could willingly <laughs> give myself up to die, period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult thing he's going through. So he just pushes through. He um, keeps going and he stops Neville outside. He pulls the invisibility cloak off and he tells Neville that to make sure that Voldemort is defeated, Nagini has to die. She must be killed. Um, so Neville is like, oh, like, okay, but, like, where are you going? Like, you're not gonna meet him, and Harry lies. He's like, no, I'm not. I just wanted to let you know just in case. This is totally unrelated. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. So he puts the cloak back on and continues, and then he pauses because he sees Ginny comforting a young girl, and this is, this is almost breaks him. He wants to let her know that he's there, but he can't because he's at Hogwarts, which is the place he's considered his home. And then he compares himself to Voldemort and Snape, who are also two boys who considered Hogwarts their home. And he's like, this is my destiny. I have to fulfill it. So he ignores Ginny, keeps going. He walks past Hagrid's hut. He's remembering, you know, better times there. And then as he enters the Forbidden Forest, he starts feeling Dementors around, and he is not strong enough to do a Patronus right now. He's alone now. He doesn't have anyone to help, and he doesn't know if he can keep going. But then, suddenly, he remembers the snitch that Dumbledore left him in his will at the very beginning of the book, and he pulls it out of his little bag, and he reads the motto on it that says, I open at the close. And this is when everything kind of clicks into place for Harry. Everything makes sense. So he presses it to his lips, and the snitch finally opens. And in it is the broken ring horcrux with the resurrection stone, one, the other Deathly Hallow, set in it. And Harry just knows what it's there for. He knows what Dumbledore wanted him to do with it. So he turns it three times in his hand, just like the story said. And all of a sudden, he appeared the ghosts of those who love him, but who he has lost. So here we see James, we see Lily, we see Sirius, and we see Remus looking young and happy. Did I ugly cry? Yes. Yes, I did. Me too. I definitely did. When she smiles at him, and I was like, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was... uh, So this is the first time that Harry is actually, like, reunited with his parents. Mm -hmm. um, And he can just see 
the, their love for him all over their faces. And Harry, props to him, because I would have... Broken down. I would have broken down. I would have asked so many questions. I would have wanted to talk to them. But Harry only asked one question, which is, does it hurt? Meaning dying. Mm. So Sirius and Remus kind of comfort him, and they tell him, like, it's going to be quick, it's going to be easy. And Harry tells them that he didn't want any of them to die, not for him. Um, And then he turns to Remus, and Remus assures him that um, it's okay, and he hopes that Teddy, who is, again, his now orphaned son, will know that his parents died to make a better world. You shouldn't have had to, Remus. (laughs) So Harry knows that they're not going to tell him to go. He has to decide to go for himself, but he does ask if they're going to stay with him, And they're like, yes, we will. Um, We're going to be invisible. No one else is going to be able to see us, but we're going to be close to you. We're going to provide you comfort. And they do that as he walks past the Dementors and deeper into the Forbidden Forest. So as he's walking, Harry finds Yaxley and Dalahov, two Death Eaters, just in the forest. And they kind of comment the hour's almost up. Harry still hasn't shown up and Voldemort is not going to be happy. And then he finally reaches a clearing in the forest and he finds Voldemort, who is there, surrounded by all of his followers. Um, Voldemort starts talking and he says that he's surprised that Harry didn't show up. But then, right at that moment, Harry, dramatic entrance, reveals himself, emerges from under the cloak. He drops the resurrection stone and all four, his parents, Sirius and Remus, vanish. And then Harry and Voldemort finally face off. Um... Harry is distracted momentarily by Hagrid, who is still alive. We lost him earlier, but we see that he's still alive, and he's bound to a tree nearby, and he's kind of yelling at Harry, don't do it, don't surrender, blah, 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 but a Death Eater silences him. Bellatrix is also there. She's looking. She's very clearly excited about this. We know she's crazy and bloodthirsty, and Harry does not even try to draw his wand. He knows that it would be kind of pointless to try and kill Nagini right now, um, so he's just kind of putting faith in Neville, Ron, and Hermione and all these these people that know that they're going to be able to do it afterwards. So Voldemort kind of addresses Harry. Their eyes meet. He points his wand at him. And then with a flash of green light, nothing. Which is crazy. Yes. And so chapter 35, Harry awakes naked on a white floor in a bright mist. He describes it as being in unformed nothingness. And then he thinks to himself, he wishes he had clothes and they appear for him. So he finds something in the form of a small naked child that is like curled up on the ground and icky looking and making weird noises. And as he approaches it, he is startled to hear Dumbledore say, you cannot help it. So Harry asks if he's dead and Dumbledore says he doesn't think so which confuses Harry because he didn't defend himself and he meant to let Voldemort kill him. And Dumbledore points out that this will have made all the difference. By doing so, Voldemort killed the piece of his soul, a.k.a. the weird demon baby that lived inside (laughs) Harry. (laughs) Yeah. So Dumbledore tells Harry that when Voldemort um, took Harry's blood to be reborn, he made it so Harry's blood is in his veins and therefore Lily's protection lives in both of them. So he tethered Harry's life to him while he lives. So like a reverse Horcrux? I don't Kind know. of. A love crux, if you will. A love, cru- a love crux, if you will. <laughs> um, so this is when Dumbledore like points out that Harry is the seventh Horcrux. Dumbledore apparently guessed that all of this would happen. Seems like a gamble with his life, though. Like, Literally. he. I know that he's like, that's why Voldemort had to kill you. So the whole thing is that, obviously, 
Dumbledore's insinuating that he knew that Harry wouldn't really die if he had given himself up to Voldemort and Voldemort killed him. He knew that he would survive that. But it was a guess. It was. It was a, it was a gamble. Because this whole love protection magic that Lily did, as far as we know, has never been done before. And he says that. He said it's like magic that they are traversing magic that no one has a record of. No one knows how it works. He's just guessing. So, yeah. And it's it's incredible to me that he's, his confidence, his arrogance. Yeah. We talk a lot about James Potter's arrogant, Harry's arrogant. Dumbledore mm-hmm. is arrogant as shit. And we see it a lot in Half-Blood Prince when he's explaining Tom Riddle's backstory. And Harry's like, how do you know that? He says, oh, I'm guessing. Yeah. The majority of the time. It's guessing. And like, yes, he's right, but like, dude. Yeah. So Dumbledore believes the night Voldemort and Harry dueled in the graveyard, Harry's wand imbibed some of the power of Voldemort's wand and therefore contained a little of Voldemort himself, which is why the wand had protected him seemingly out of nowhere when Voldemort attacked with Lucius's wand. It was kind of like reverberating magic from Voldemort's wand. Interesting. For sure, dude. Yeah. So at this point, Harry realizes they are at King's Cross and asks Dumbledore about the Deathly Hallows. And Dumbledore at this point asks for Harry's forgiveness for not telling him he was a fool for the Hollows and did not wish to impart his mistakes onto Harry. Then Dumbledore, a grown man, seeks validation from Harry, a child, since he's, well, at this point, he's a young man, I'll give him that. Yeah. Since he sought to be the master of death and does that make him the same as Voldemort. But Harry simply points out Hallows, not Horcruxes. Okay. I mean, sure. maybe, I mean, the journey might have been different, but they both were trying to get to the same destination, yeah. babe. Do not Yeah, so Dumbledore confirms the tale of the Peverell brothers and how he met Grindelwald, who was in Godric's Hollow looking for clues. He confirms Harry is a descendant of Ignotus Peverell, and which is why he inherited, inherited the Invisibility Cloak. James did not have it on the night he died because Dumbledore found out about it, and his obsession with the Hallows got the best of him. The resulting death of the Potters is what finally spurned his search for the Hollows. And he was like, I'm done with this. Like, my own idiocracy is the reason that the Potters... Like, he didn't have the um, cloak on the night that they died. But Harry is like, it wouldn't have made a difference. They they would have been found anyway. But I also find it really hard to believe that... Because we can, I think, educationally guess that James had this cloak at Hogwarts. He says that. Oh, he says that? Okay, that I couldn't remember said he, he was He explained a lot as to how he got up to so much mischief, but he just found out about it when he took it. Okay, I see, that's the part that I'm like, I find it so hard to believe that Dumbledore, this supposed greatest wizard of all time, and did not get, like, I don't know. I'm like, I feel like he would have... I don't know, I don't think he has a inkling. reason to lie in this point. So when he finds it's he's the actual did. thing, yeah. So Dumbledore talks about his troubled family life with Ariana and the death of his parents, leading to his obsession with Grindelwald and the Hallows and the greater good, which inevitably fell apart with Ariana's death. He reveals he never accepted the many offers of Minister because he didn't trust himself with the power. He talks of the duel with Grindelwald when he finally built the courage to face him and how he won the Elder Wand. And Harry says that he now knows what Dumbledore would have seen in the Mirror of Erised, which is insinuating it would have been his family, so his parents and Ariana there with him. So Dumbledore says that when he found the ring, he carelessly and stupidly put it on because all he could think about was using the resurrection stone to tell his parents and Ariana how sorry he was. And he says that he was only fit to possess the Elder Wand because he could not—he would not boast of it or use it to kill, but rather have it to save others from it. He says he took the cloak out of a vain curiosity and so it would never work for him as it works for Harry, who is its true owner. He also says that he would have used the stone to drag back those at peace rather than enable his own self-sacrifice as Harry has done. All of this to say he believes Harry is a worthy possessor of the Hallows 
and that he is a true master of death because he doesn't seek to run away from it. And Dumbledore points out that he doesn't think Voldemort knew of the Hallows, and even if he did, he would think he has no use of the stone or the cloak. He can make himself invisible. He doesn't love anyone enough to want to bring them back, so he doesn't care. Yep. And at this point, Harry asks Dumbledore if he has to go back, and Dumbledore tells him that's up to him. He can go back or he can wait for a train to take him on. And I think that this is the, the point where we're really seeing the symbolic nature of the train station because it is a crossroads of different paths. So he can choose which way to go and that train can take him on or he can choose to leave. So I think that choosing King's Cross as the location for this scene was a really good choice for by JKR. I agree. Um, and so Harry gets up to go but asks... Tell me one last thing. Is this real or has this been happening inside my head? To which Dumbledore responds, of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean it is not real? And that is like such an iconic line. It really is. If you've ever, like book, movie, like it really is iconic for this Deathly Hallows era. Yeah, I agree. I also find like a point in this that I thought was really interesting is that Dumbledore says he refused Minister because he didn't trust himself with that much power, but he stayed headmaster of Hogwarts for so long, which is objectively also a huge amount of power. Like, he is shaping every single young mind of the wizarding world as headmaster, which I think is an interesting point that, like, we can research and deep dive more into later, but it's something that um, came up to me, like, as we were reading. So then chapter 36, Harry awakens and he finds himself face down on the floor's floor. He plays dead and kind of just starts listening to everything around him. And Voldemort, who apparently also passed out, um, asks his followers to confirm that Harry is actually dead. So Narcissa Malfoy, who is there, is the one who rushes to Harry's side. And she like desperately asks him in like the quietest whisper ever if Draco is alive and if he is inside Hogwarts. And Harry very silently tells her yes. So Narcissa, who is desperate, just like Lucius earlier, to stop the fighting and to save her son, she announces that Harry is dead. Um, The Death Eaters start cheering. Voldemort tauntingly casts the Cruciatus Curse on what he thinks is Harry's corpse. And Harry kind of braces himself for pain and he stays limp as his body is tossed around by Voldemort's spell. But he realizes afterwards that there's actually no pain. He doesn't feel anything of the Cruciatus. So Voldemort orders his followers to go to the castle with him and he commands Hagrid to pick Harry up and bring his body along as proof, which is so, like, I know Harry's not really dead, but in Hagrid's Mm -hmm. eyes, it's such a sad parallel of he carried him into this world and now he's carried him dead out. So Hagrid is at the front leading, a bunch of Death Eaters are walking behind him, and he, Hagrid angrily yells at the centaurs who are watching in silence for not participating in the fight. Voldemort once again does his, like, voice amplifying thing, and he announces that Harry is dead and that he was killed trying to escape the battle. So the Death Eaters finally reach the castle with Harry's body, and he hears people start screaming, those that love him, so Professor McGonagall, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, because, you know, they're seeing a dead, what they believe is a dead Harry. So Voldemort tells Hagrid to lay Harry down in the grass at Voldemort's feet, which he does so, and then he addresses the crowd, and he tells them that Harry was a coward, that he tried to run away and flee from his friends and not fight. So this is kind of too much for Neville, who ends up running out of the crowd and attacks Voldemort, which is, again, very brave. This is, we see that true Gryffindor courage Mm -hmm. coming out right now. 
So Voldemort kind of turns his attention to Neville, and he says that a pureblood this brave is going to make a really good Death Eater. Neville obviously rejects this, and Voldemort decides that he's going to kill him. <laughs> but he's like, actually, but first of all, let's make an example of him, because mm-hmm. he doesn't want anyone else doing what he just did. So, and this is crazy, <laughs> he summons the sorting hat from the castle and announces that from this day forward, there's not going to be any sorting, all Hogwarts students will be Slytherins. He then jams the hat onto Neville's head and he sets it on fire. Symbolic, if you ask me. He's putting on a show. If there's one thing Voldemort is going to do, it is put on a show. He likes the theatrics. He's going to make a scene, for yeah. sure. Literally insane. And then after this, quite literally 20 million things happen all at once. So, <laughs> a wave of fighters come from the walls of the castle and they're going up to the Death Eaters to fight. Grop comes out, he starts attacking. The centaurs in the forest, who kind of were motivated by Hagrid yelling at them, start shooting arrows at the Death Eater. Harry pulls the invisibility cloak over him and jumps up. Then Neville breaks free from Voldemort's curse. He pulls Gryffindor's sword from the sorting hat, and then he cuts off Nagini's head. It goes flying, and Voldemort screams. How did it get? In, how did it get in there? Well, isn't the whole thing that like the sword like vanishes and then reappears to any Gryffindor who's worthy and in need? Yeah, because it's supposed to come out of the hat. The whole reason it wasn't is because they kept it they right kept behind it the Dumbledore pole yeah, chip. But I guess I just. Isn't that its lore? I thought so. I thought so, but I just, I, I Griphook, I guess, is just gonna see that it's gone. Yeah, because, like, but we wasn't... see it in the movie. We see it, like, vanish and stuff. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's kind of what happens here, too. Yeah. But thank, if, it, thank God it did, so Neville was able to so, do this. Yeah. Also, kudos to Harry for staying still that long. I feel like that would have been very difficult. No, I know. Also, did Neville know that the sword was imbued with basilisk venom and could kill a horcrux, or was this just extremely lucky? Neville didn't know that Nagini was a horcrux, and so, no. So this was just extremely lucky. He just killed it with was, the sword. Yes. Yeah, imagine if he had killed it with anything else, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that J.K. Rowling wrote the book, I guess. Right? <laughs> Very convenient, JKR. Is it convenient, though? It's her book. I mean, yes. She writes the plot. What do you mean? I mean, yeah. So Harry ends up protecting Neville with Protego before Voldemort can attack him, and then he runs into the castle, kind of chasing after Voldemort. So the battle is fully commencing again. The Great Hall, everyone's dueling, um, and it looks like all of the families and friends of Hogwarts have come back to defend the school. Like, this is, like, a, like official, like, battle, battle, battle. So the house elves, who are led by Creature, have also joined the fight, and they are kind of hitting Death Eaters' calves and their shins with kitchen knives, which I love. I think... Chucky moment. It. Oh my god, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love this part. And then Voldemort is right in the middle. Harry spots him, and he heads towards him. And he kind of sees that all around him, his friends are all battling. So Voldemort is dueling McGonagall right now. Also Horace Slughorn, also Kingsley Shacklebolt. But even with the three of them, they can't seem to finish him off. And then not far away in the corner, he sees Bellatrix fighting off Hermione, Luna, and Ginny. Um, and then her killing curse like narrowly misses Ginny. And Harry, of course, is like, fuck that. So he's gonna spring to her defense. But Mrs. Weasley beats him, and she says one of the most iconic lines, Not my daughter, you bitch! She then takes on Bellatrix herself. She duels her. Bellatrix is taunting her. 
But mid-laugh, Mrs. Weasley, Mrs. Weasley's curse hits her square in the chest and Bellatrix falls back dead. Go, Molly. Go, Molly. Molly ate. She really did. Voldemort, of course, notices his favorite follower being killed and he turns on Mrs. Baby Mama. Oh my god, you're right. (laughs) Because at this point, the baby is born. Yeah, that's true. She's... Wow, Bellatrix postpartum in a war. That's crazy. Also talks. Crazy. Crazy. Um, So Voldemort, yeah, turns on Mrs. Weasley after seeing her kill Bellatrix, but before he can, like, kill her, Harry casts a shield charm between them and saves Molly's life. So he pulls off the invisibility cloak, which he's been wearing this entire time, and he reveals himself at last, leaving it finally down to Harry and Voldemort. He, Harry tells everyone not to help. This is something that he has to do, only him. So Voldemort kind of starts taunting Harry, saying that he's only alive because um, other better men and women sacrificed themselves for him. And Harry, honestly, props to him. Like, he fights back with just as much. Like, he's like, my willing sacrifice in the Forbidden Forest is what's protecting my friends and loved ones now. Just like my mom died to protect me, my decision to surrender myself protects all of them. He tells Voldemort that there's a lot of things that he just doesn't understand. And Voldemort asks if it's Dumbledore's constant refrain that love will save the day, or if Harry thinks he knows more magic and has a more powerful weapon than Voldemort. So Harry's kind of like, I have both. Both, bitch. (laughs) Fuck you, I have both. And Voldemort obviously doesn't believe him, so he starts laughing at him. And Harry um, takes this time. I love how they're just, like, talking. <laughs> oh, and circling each other. Yeah, like, just walking like around. Like, walking in a slow circle with their wands pulled, and Harry's just talking. They're, they're just talking. They're just monologuing. Yeah. <laughs> so Harry explains the truth about Snape's allegiance to Dumbledore, and then the truth about Dumbledore's death. And since Dumbledore also willingly submitted to death at Snape's hand, Snape wasn't actually the last master of the Elder Wand. It turns out that Draco Malfoy, who had disarmed Dumbledore up in the Astronomy Tower before Snape pulled in, was the actual master of the Elder Wand. Bum, bum, bum. But he's not done yet. There's more. So he killed Snape for nothing. Literally for nothing. (laughs) He killed Snape for nothing. Um, And so he gets to the real... The real punchline, which is that Harry defeated Draco when they were back at Malfoy Manor, and he took his wand. So, according to the lore, since Harry disarmed its last master, the Elder Wand is actually his. Ah! And he is really counting on the fact that the wand knows that. Mm -hmm. So, Voldemort and Harry finally, you know duel one last time after circling for a while. They shoot off their trademark spells, Voldemort screams Avada Kedavra, and Harry yells out Expelliarmus. So the two spells meet um, in the middle with a blast of golden fire, and the Elder Wand goes flying through the air, and then Harry catches it as it falls towards him. Voldemort's killing curse bounces back at him once again, and he falls to the ground dead. Like, really? Like, finally? Like, dead. Really a full circle moment in their story because... It's what, you know, well, in the first, in the beginning, it's what tore his soul apart and, like, made him, like, a ghost of a person, I guess. Yeah. And gave Harry that scar and made him the Horcrux, and now here they are. Once again, this curse is backfiring, but there's nothing left to protect him, and Harry comes out on top. So, exactly. But Harry, once again, 
survives the killing curse. <laughs> Honestly, and I think it's also really symbolic in that Voldemort just flops down. Mm-hmm. It really shows that he went through all this trouble to be immortal, to be the most powerful, to not die, and at the end, he died just like everyone else, mm-hmm. a very mortal death. And at 71, which we mentioned in our Voldemort episode, is really young for a wizard. Yeah. So he went through all of that for nothing. And to look like that. Yeah, I know. To to look look like like a fucking snake. snake. So there's a moment of shock silence, obviously. And then everyone starts cheering. They congratulate Harry. There's a huge celebration. And Harry, you know, recognizing that he was a hero and he was a leader, he starts walking through the crowd. He's comforting people. And he starts hearing the news that Kingsley has been appointed Minister of Magic for the time being. Happened really fast. Really fast. I mean, he just died. Yeah. But I think Kingsley's a solid choice. Oh, yeah. I, 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 think I understand so too. it. So Voldemort's body is moved. They keep him separate from the corpses of those who died in battle. And Harry, like, sits down next to Luna. He's very overwhelmed. And she sees that he needs some alone time. And so she distracts everyone. And Harry's able to put on his invisibility cloak and kind of go away. So Harry passes Ginny and Mrs. Weasley, as well as all three Malfoys, huddled together, and he kind of sees that families are reuniting everywhere, Mm -hmm. which is good. Um, He ends up finding Ron and Hermione, and the three of them leave the Great Hall, and he kind of fills them in on everything that happened as they walk, and they end up um, to the door to the headmaster's office. So they all go in, and all of the portraits of the previous headmasters and headmistresses start applauding him, but Harry is only really focused on one portrait, and that is Dumbledore's. I find it so crazy that he never once spoke to Dumbledore's portrait before this. He wasn't there. He wasn't at the school, and then when he went in there, he was gone. Dumbledore was gone? When he From got to portrait? the school? No, when he went to the school, he didn't go to the office yet, and then finally when he did go there, the, all the the... Oh, I guess that's true. Even then, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like, oh, you know who you can talk to? Dumbledore. It's like, oh, I wish I could have asked him all these questions. You can. Yeah. But, um, he goes up, he's, Dumbledore is crying tears of happiness, and Harry has one question for him, and he's like, what should I do with all the Hallows? He tells Dumbledore that he left the Resurrection Stone somewhere in the forest, wherever he dropped it, and that nobody else knows about it. Um, He says he's going to keep the cloak because it's his birthright. But as for the Elder Wand, Harry says that he kind of wants nothing to do with it. Ron and Hermione um, think, you know, they kind of see this as like really like an... It's the Elder Wand. It's the death stick. Oh, I want it. I know, right? And this makes Harry nervous. Um, So he's like, you know what? There's only one real thing I want to do with it. So he repairs his old Holly and Phoenix wand, which we remember was crushed during the Bethoda Backshot stuff. And it is now good as new. It feels just right to Harry. And he tells Dumbledore that he's going to return the Elder Wand to Dumbledore's grave. And he's never going to use it, thus breaking its power. Um, If Harry himself is never defeated, which, cross our fingers, that doesn't happen. um, And he ends up dying a natural death, then the wand will die with him. It's never going to get a new master. So Ron is obviously a little sad to see the wand go because he's always, you know, like when we talked about the Hallows, Ron was the one who said he would want the Elder Wand. Um, But Hermione is kind of with Harry, and he agrees there's no reason for us to have this. Um, And Harry, you know, knows that it's more, the Wand is more trouble than it's worth, and he has had enough trouble throughout his lifetime. And that is the end of the, like, book book, like, as we know it, but of course there's still the epilogue. So Harry's the only true master of death. Yeah. 
Also, what do you think they did with Voldemort's body? Hopefully they burned it. Yeah. What do you think? They, like, just, like, animate it? Well, not, like, animate Like, Whoa, hold up! <laughs> Sorry. They, like, they, like, suspend it in, like, a tube in, like, a magical museum, and they're like, this is Voldemort, and his hand is, like, outstretched with, like, a wand in it. <laughs> yeah, like, he's... You are Magical awful. taxidermy. <laughs> I cannot believe. Um, I'm just wondering. <laughs> Jesus. No, I'm going to say they got rid they of it, babe. It. That's kind of <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Jesus. Would be Ooh. interesting, though. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, anyways, <laughs> the epilogue, 19 years later. Um... Harry and Ginny are heading to Platform 9 and 3 quarters with their three children, James, Lily, and Albus Severus Potter. <gasps> a stupid name. Two men. One who raised Harry like, you know, a lamb for the slaughter, like we've said, and then another one who bullied him his whole life and was obsessed with his mother. Why not name your son after them? Yeah. It's not like Remus was right there. It's not like Hagrid or Arthur were right there. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. So, James teases young Albus about maybe being sorted into Slytherin, and before his parents tell him off, like, before his parents tell him off, he runs off. So, the Potter family eventually meets up with the Weasley family, aka Ron and Hermione, with their two children, Rose and Hugo. So, Ron and Harry joke about Ron passing a muggle driving test and confronting the examiner before breaking off and spotting Draco Malfoy with his wife and his son, Scorpius. Draco simply nods at them before returning to his own family. And Ron turns and tells Rose, his daughter, to beat Scorpius in every test, which Hermione scolds him for, but it is funny. It is. So James now returns to the group to snitch on Teddy for making out with Victory, which is their cousin. And Harry talks about inviting Teddy to live with them, but, like, also he's his godfather, so was he not already living with them? I was gonna say, I was like, well, I know Teddy lives with Andromeda. Okay. Um, and... Harry is his godfather, but I feel like Harry would still treat him as, like, a son. Treat him as part of their family. Well, he does. He says that they have him over for dinner all the time, so that's Oh, that's true. He does say that. Yeah. So, um, Ginny tells James to give Neville their love, which James is appalled by, because at school he's Professor Longbottom, so he's like, I cannot give him love, mother. It's Professor Longbottom. I'm supposed to walk into a biology and be like, Mom sends her love. I'm not gonna do that, Mom. So, did Sprout retire, or did she die? I'm gonna say she retired. Okay. I don't wanna... She retired. Okay. Um, as they say their goodbyes, Harry reminds Albus he has tea with Hagrid, he should avoid Peeves, and he should not duel anyone. So <laughs> Albus asks, what if I'm in Slytherin? And Harry says that they will have gained an excellent student, but he could always ask to be put in Gryffindor like he did. And as the train leaves, Ginny assures Harry Albus will be all right, and Harry knows that he will. Because, and the very last line will tell you, the scar had not pained Harry for 19 years. All was well. The end. The end. Also, I just want to say, Harry reminds Albus Severus that he is named after two great headmasters of Hogwarts, one of whom was a Slytherin and was the bravest man Harry ever knew. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I mean it. What? <laughs> you shut your mouth right freaking now. I just, I just, I find it so hard to believe that, because like, when we think about it, James Sirius, Harry's dad, Harry's godfather. I get it though. That's a valid name. Oh yeah. Albus Sivarus, Harry's mentor, and Snape, I don't know, fucking whatever. Still Harry's thing. Stupid names. 
And then we get Lily, Luna. Lily, Harry's mom. And then Luna, it's up in the fandom whether they named her after Luna Lovegood or whether it's supposed to be a tribute to Remus because Luna means moon in Spanish. Either way, Harry. Ginny just got no say in what her children are fucking named. Like, what? Yeah. You know what? We could have named Alba Severus, um, like, Fred. <laughs> well, or George. I know George named or, his son Fred, like, so I understand maybe wanting him to be able to yeah, do that. Yeah, I guess. But, like, Arthur or, you know, Rubius or something like that. If Oh, a good name. Remus Arthur Potter. Remus Arthur it Potter. It has a good flow. Remus Arthur Potter. I know people say, like, oh, they did Luna. People say he did Luna as moon for Remus, which is fucked up because the moon was his biggest fear, so why would you I don't honor him so. like that? I feel like it's too... If you know someone named Luna and then you give your daughter the middle name Luna, I feel like that's pretty obvious I where that like comes that from. I feel like that too. But I know some people say that that is for Remus, and the reason they didn't name any of their sons after Remus is because Teddy is Teddy Remus Lupin, and so they didn't want to, like, double up or take that away okay, from Teddy or that's, something. That's also valid. That's also valid. But I stand by Arthur and Hagrid. I stand by that. Rubius Arthur Arthur Potter. <laughs> Rubius Arthur Potter. I just, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. Or if he, or even like Lily, instead of Lily Luna, Lily Ruby. Like Ruby for Rubius. Oh. I think that would have been really cute. Because if it is Luna after Luna Lovegood, she's still alive. Why did we name her after Luna? I just. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, here are all our kids named after dead people. And then Luna. What? <laughs> They didn't have a, a single original name. No, but Hermione and Ron ate. Yeah. Rose and Hugo, I know they're after literary characters, which make tracks with Hermione's mm-hmm. things, but also they're just, they're solid names. Rose and yeah. Hugo, love it. And Scorpius, I know it's a constellation and that's a black family thing, but like, still kind of a weird name. Kind of edgy though. I know. It is edgy. I, I like do it. like his nickname, Scorp. I think it's cute. It's Scorp. Okay, that's, I mean, an option for okay, sure. Okay, sure. I, just, I mean, that's what they call him. We'll, Swerp. We'll... Sounds like you're saying twerp. <laughs> Maybe you're just a bully. <laughs> I didn't think about that. It's what it sounds like. I'm just saying. It just sounds like you're making fun of. I mean. Like, is we don't squirp you upset? Blah, 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 blah. Oh my god, you're so <laughs> I'm just saying, it, it's right there. It just sounds like it might be derogatory. I guess. So, alright. But anyways, that is, like, all of our book content. Yep, that's, that's it. That's crazy. Wow. Um, Only do took have, us a year and a half. I know. We do have the movie comparison, though. So we are not quite done with the Deathly Hallows. Um, we have that movie comparison, and then after that, we will introduce you guys to what we have coming up. Um, but we'll save it for that episode. Yeah, we're so you... very excited to talk to you guys about what's next. Exactly. But before we finish this episode off, we are going to do the jokes. Um, so prepare yourself for this one. Woo! Um... How do you get into the gym at Hogwarts? Uh, how? You use the dumbbell door. <laughs> but I, that is so funny, because I have a similar joke that I almost chose for today, oh and then I changed it that last minute. You chose it. Okay. Hit um, us with it. <laughs> okay, but the one I ended up choosing. What is Luna's favorite show? What? Luna Tunes. Oh, that's cute. I also like Looney Tunes. Alrighty. Well, that is all for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our next episode will be the Deathly Hallows book and movie comparison for the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So make sure you tune in for that. 
Make sure you guys also follow us online. Our Instagram is at SilverClawReview. Our Twitter is at SilverClawRev. And of course, we have our website. And if you guys could leave a rating, comment, or review, and just tell your friends and family if you enjoy this podcast. All of this helps us immensely, and we appreciate it so much. Until next time!